This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. All right, hour number three. We are flying on by on this Overreaction Monday. Dan Grosser Show, 98.7 ESPN, 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. Take you for another 60. Gordon and Larry will carry you the rest of the night. At Dan Grasses, where you can find me on Twitter, G-R-A-C-A. We got Julian and Tom along for the ride as well, producing the show this evening. A lot of football, as you would expect tonight on these NFL Mondays, overreaction Mondays, although it's been pretty, pretty rational tonight, as a matter of fact. You know, tonight's show is not living up to the name that we usually encounter on these Mondays, but you know what, you get those on occasion. And I think that if you're a fan of... One of our teams here, of course, you're okay with that because they were both victorious yesterday. Giants taking care of business, no matter how ugly it might have seemed, but 2-0 is 2-0. You're not going to throw them back. And the Jets, of course, stunning the football world, as improbable as it was, picking up win number one and doing the impossible and defeating the Cleveland Browns by one solid singular point. Now, real quick, I just want to respond to something that Richard had brought up in uh, late in the game. And what he was referring to, that... Last possession the Jets had right before Cleveland's final drive, or their final scoring drive, I should say. Jets took over at their own eight-yard line. At this point, the score of the game is still 24-17 Cleveland. 4.07 a play is when the Jets took over possession. Eight-yard line. Uh, Flacco dump off to Michael Carter, loss of one yards. Second and 11. Flacco to Tyler Conklin. That was the one where he fumbled. And it was recovered by Max Mitchell, the offensive lineman, Johnny on the spot. That could have ended the game right there. Third and eight at the 10-yard line. Flacco, an incomplete pass. Then he got fourth and eight at the 10. Jets punted. And you have to punt in that situation because if they don't get the first down there, think about where Cleveland is. You're already in field goal range. And then the game is over, right? Cleveland could just take a knee for three downs, make the Jets burn all their timeouts, kick the field goal, and essentially end it. Two-score game, don't do anything stupid, and that's the end. And then to make matters worse, you know, Sal in that situation as a head coach, if he goes for it there, he's essentially telling his defense, I don't have any faith in you. So how is that message going to be conveyed to the locker room, right? If they decide to go for it there from their own 10-yard line on fourth and eight, he's telling his defense, guys, even though we have all three of our timeouts and even though we have the two-minute warning, so essentially four timeouts to work with, I don't think you guys can get a stop and get us the ball back. That would not be too heartening, at least if I was a member of the defense. Now, to make matters worse, this was another thing that went against the Jets, which made the comeback even more improbable. Remember, Braden Mann punts the ball, gets a, good, gets a good hold of it, as a matter of fact. But then after the play was whistled dead, Marcel Harris, member of the Jets special teams, gives a shove to a member of the Browns, literally like right in front of the official. They throw the flag for unnecessary roughness for 15 yards, moves the Browns up even further. Now Cleveland begins that last possession in Jet territory at the Jet 42-yard line. Instead of you minus the 15 yards, it would have been first and 10 at their own 43. You know, they have to work a little bit more to get into some scoring type of range. But as we know, they did, and it culminated with Nick Chubb running the ball into the end zone, and then all the wackiness would ensue from there. But, yeah, I, I mean, just, you know, things you almost forget about. Things you almost, like, that, that don't even pop up. And I mean, they should do, and I know it wasn't a playoff game. If it was a playoff game, they will. But 
that's almost like 30 for 30 worthy. Just the fourth quarter alone. Just the final, like, four minutes of the game, you could do, like, a 30 for 30 one-hour documentary and try to explain the events of that game and how, like, they all unfolded and how we got to the conclusion that we did, which the Jets being one and one and Cleveland licking their, licking their wounds at one and one. And I even, look, I even mentioned it in the pregame show yesterday. Browns were trying to get to 2-0 for the first time since 1993. That was when Bill Belichick was coaching them. That's how long ago it was. So think about it. They have not exactly flirted with prosperity over the decades. I'm not breaking news to anybody. The Browns have been one of the most woebegone franchises in all the sports, right? But 30 years almost since they started 2-0. And I even brought up the fact that Browns have a short week. Browns have a game coming up on Thursday. They got the Pittsburgh Steelers, their arch rival, coming into the building. I'm not saying that they were going to do it, but could we 100% rule out the possibility of maybe the Browns catching or the Jets catching the Browns napping a little bit, overlooking them, right? Same old Jets, laughing stock Jets, home opener for the Browns coming off of a win themselves. Hey, we got the Steelers on Thursday. Let's just show up, we'll beat the Jets, and then let's really get going for that uh, Steeler game on Thursday. A divisional matchup, a lot more important in the grand scheme of things. Not to say that that's what happened, but it's another valuable lesson that you got to finish. You've got to find a way to finish games. And the Browns weren't able to do it yesterday. They weren't. Now, we got a couple of Monday night games that are happening right now. Bills have a 17-7 lead over the Titans early in the third quarter. Josh Allen doing Josh Allen things. He's thrown for over 200 yards already, thrown a couple of touchdown passes. Bills are good. We know that. Eagles have a 7-0 lead over the Vikings just starting the second quarter down there in Philadelphia. Jalen Hurts, a three-yard touchdown run, the only offense in that one, at least in terms of the scoreboard, and he's gotten off to a good start throwing the ball. He's 9-for-9 nine nine for 102 yards. Vikings have not gotten anything, anything going offensively right now. Total yards after that first quarter, 125 for Philadelphia, 10 for the Minnesota Vikings. That is so far one-way traffic in favor of the home team. We'll see if it... Uh, ends up that way and we'll keep you posted and the baseball four nothing Mets over the Milwaukee Brewers they have gotten to Corbin Burns tonight which is a good thing that's what you want to see top of the sixth inning and right now you got a situation playing out in Milwaukee involving Max Scherzer Max Scherzer is perfect right now through five innings okay no hits no walks eight strikeouts he's in command he's only at 54 pitches Here's the thing, and this might be something that is going to be a big talking point on the show tomorrow, depending on how this thing plays itself out. Max Scherzer is going to be on a pitch count here, is on a pitch count coming into the game, right? When you look at the rehab starts that he made in the minor leagues, given what he just went through with the oblique, second time essentially on the shelf this year with the similar type of an injury, they are not going to let him go deep into this game. They're saying he's only going to go like 60, 70 pitches maybe. You know, Joe Ryan, who's a pitcher for the Minnesota Twins, a couple of starts ago, he had a no-hitter through seven innings, and they took him out of the game because they didn't want him to overdo it. He's one of the young arms that they have, you know, big hopes for the future. This is baseball now. You might disagree with it, and I think that each circumstance in each case has to be looked at 
individually. It's not just all, oh, well, you know, you don't want to overuse these guys. Every single one of them have to come out of the games and shouldn't be allowed to finish no hitters. No, I'm not saying that. I think you have to look at each one uniquely. And in the case of Max Scherzer, look, if you're a Met fan, and let's say Max Scherzer throws a no-hitter tonight, a perfect game, whatever, but then also he's not effective in the month of October in the playoffs, which is the only thing that should matter to you being a Met fan. And let's say maybe he can't even take the ball because he's not 100% and he, he tweaks something. You're going to feel good that he threw a no-hitter against Milwaukee or are you going to lament the fact that he wasn't there when he needed him the most? The reason why they paid him $43 million a year. So if this ends with him not being given the opportunity to throw a no-hitter or to throw a perfect game or to finish a perfect game tonight, I got no problem with it. None whatsoever. I trust Buck Showalter and I trust Max Scherzer. Max knows himself better than anybody. He's been pitching for 400 years. And I'm sure that he and Buck Showalter are going to look at this thing and look at it big picture-wise as to what is best for Max and what is best for the Mets. And maybe we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Who knows, right? The decision might be taken out of our hands completely. What if Scherzer goes out there and gives up a base hit in the bottom of the sixth inning? And by the way, this top of the sixth inning has been a long one. Mets have tacked on a couple of runs. They're still batting. It's 5-0. They're showing Max in the dugout. He's pacing. He's not even sitting. He's pacing to try to stay loose. Sometimes these pitchers that have no hitters and they're in a nice rhythm, these long offensive innings that their team has up there at the plate sometimes throws them out of a rhythm a little bit. And then they go back out there in the next half inning and they lose whatever no hitter or perfect game that they had. So we'll see how that plays itself out here. But I would be shocked if he even sees the eighth inning tonight, even with a no-hitter or a perfect game. That's just me. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. We come back. We're going around the league. What a wild and crazy week two it was in the National Football League. Dan Grasso Show, 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash network. Dan Grasso Show, 987 ESPN. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. Still 5 nothing Mets. They're batting in the top of the sixth in Milwaukee. Scherzer are perfect. We'll keep you up to date as to what is happening there when he gets back out on the mound. All right, let's go around the league because as crazy as the Jet game was, yesterday in week number two how about some of these other finals in and around the national football league starting jacksonville with the indianapolis colts who go down to the jaguars and get blank 24 to nothing now let me just say this indianapolis i thought was going to have a big season i picked them to win the afc south they still very well can but they ain't looking too good are they i mean when you begin the year with two divisional matchups, and it's the two bottom feeders or presumed bottom feeders in that division in Jacksonville and Houston, and you're not able to win any one of them, that is not a recipe for a successful season. And, and, and the question I think needs to be asked here about the Colts, you know, say what you want about him, and I'm no big fan of his, 
But Carson Wentz was basically made out to be the sacrificial lamb for how things went south for the Colts at the end of the season last year. They booted him out of town. Everybody and their mother was pointing the finger at him as to his lack of leadership and how he lost the locker room, and he was the reason why things dissolved for them. Well, you brought in Matt Ryan, and everything was supposed to be right with the world. How does this Colts team look for the first two weeks? Really? You still can't beat the Jaguars. I mean, it don't matter if it's Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan, Peyton Manning, Burt Jones, Johnny Unitas, no matter who the hell the quarterback is for the Colts, they can't win in Jacksonville. Eight in a row they've lost down there. Eight straight games. And can you score some points? Really, can you score some lousy points? Three more interceptions yesterday for Ryan. I mean, the, I thought this was one of the best offensive lines in football. You know, Quentin Nelson, they were already measuring him for his gold jacket and his bust, and he's good, but the offensive line was horrible yesterday. I don't want to hear just because Michael Pittman didn't play that your offense went south, all right? He's not Marvin Harrison. He's not Raymond Berry. He's a good player, but not to the point where you should be getting shut out against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Five sacks by that Jag defense. First shutout they've been able to put together in about five years. And Trevor Lawrence had himself a good game. I don't think either, you know, I don't think the Jaguars are ready for prime time yet. But as crazy as things sound, in Tennessee right now, looks like they're going to drop to 0-2 because the Bills are sticking it to them right now on Monday Night Football. The Jacksonville Jaguars, through two weeks, are going to be the only team in that division with a win. They're going to be sitting high and pretty in first place. At one and one so far. But that's early season football for you. How about in Detroit, where the Lions break into the win column? They beat Washington 36 to 27. Aiden Hutchinson had three sacks. Amon Ray St. Brown had himself a big day. So all you fantasy fans get a big boost from him if you had him on your team. And so Detroit gets into the win column. Washington, with our buddy Carson Wentz at quarterback, they were a no-show in the first half. Plain and simple, they fell behind 22-0. Issues showed up on defensively. That was supposed to be, you know, the foundation of this football team. You can't be giving up 36 points to the Lions. I don't care where the game is. You know, Barry Sanders ain't in the lineup yesterday for Detroit. That is way too many points to surrender, but not very high on Washington either. They fall to 1-1. One and one. The wildest one, aside from maybe the Jets and the Browns, how about Baltimore and Miami? Now, this is a game that has a couple of teams that certainly have eyes and designs on maybe postseason work in the AFC this year. And the Dolphins outscore them 42-38. to 38. This was another one. If you turned your sets off, you missed the wild one in that fourth quarter. 21-point fourth quarter comeback for the visitors. Tua channeling his best Dan Marino. Six touchdown passes, 479 yards. Look, I don't know if he's going to be the guy. I don't know if you're sold on him 100%. But when you're putting up days like that and you're putting up performances like that, that's going to buy you some cachet in the minds of not only the fan base, but probably the organization as well. That was a heck of a performance. That's a heck of a win. So think about it if you're the Dolphins and the Mike McDaniel era. You beat Belichick and the Patriots in week one. Then you go on the road and you spoil the home opener for Harbaugh and Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. And you do it when you were down a, sig a significant amount going into the final 15 minutes. That is a heck of a start. A heck of a start for McDaniel. 
and we'll see if this is sustainable and if the Dolphins are indeed legit. Jets are going to see them in a couple of weeks. Um, after the Pittsburgh game, they get the Dolphins at home, whatever that first, um, what is it, the 9th of October, something like that, at MetLife Stadium. So Miami will be here before you know it. Lamar Jackson had a huge day for the Ravens, but you know what? The defense didn't show up. Defense didn't show up. And the, and, and the Ravens were down a couple of DBs late in that game. Good for Miami for noticing, taking advantage of the mismatch, and they were able to put together a crazy, crazy stat line for the quarterback. Speaking of the Patriots, they win an ugly one, 17-14 in Pittsburgh. I know, and it's not like the days of Brady and Moss up there in Foxborough or Gronkowski, but the offense was at least a little better than it was a week ago. Special teams made a big play, recovering a muff punt that they turned into a touchdown. Say this about Pittsburgh. All right, this offense needs a facelift. Bottom line. I, I mean, Mitchell Trubisky, you know that he's a placeholder. It's going to be Kenny Pickett's show. The only question is, and we wondered this even before the season started, Jet Steelers week four, is Kenny Pickett going to be the starting quarterback for the Steelers by the time the Jet game rolls around? I think it's certainly a possibility. Too much Dinkin and Duncan, way too conservative. They didn't get anything going running the football. And you know what? If you're an opposing defense playing the Pittsburgh Steelers right now, why wouldn't you sell out to just stop Najee Harris in the run game? You really think that Mitchell Trubisky is going to beat you with his arm? Dinkin and Duncan up and down the field? Uh, let him. Let him. And the defense is just not as dangerous and it's not as good without T.J. Watt there rushing off the edge. So the Steelers got some problems right now. I know they're one and one, but um, they are not the same football team as the one that we've been used to witnessing here over the last couple of seasons. Feisty one down in the NFC South, down in New Orleans. Finally, Tom Brady as a Buccaneer gets his first regular season victory against the Saints, 20-10. This one was 3-3 going into the fourth quarter there. And the Saints just could not get anything going offensively. Credit to Todd Bowles and his defense. Jameis Winston, we found out yesterday morning, was playing with not one, not two, not three, but four fractures in his back. You know, he was able to go out there and gut it and play, but just not good enough. The bottom line, not good enough whatsoever. Um, I don't know if you saw the exchange on the field. You know, there was a lot of pushing and shoving and whatnot. Mike Evans and Marshawn Lattimore, those two guys have a history. Uh, Evans ran onto the field and gave him a nice little shove, which drew a um, nice penalty, a uh, disqualification from the game. And Mike Evans also got a one-game suspension for doing that, too. Looks like he's going to appeal. But five turnovers all in the second half by that Tampa Bay defense, including a pick six, 17 in the Buccaneer, 20 points. We're off of New Orleans turnovers. You know that any coach is going to sign up for that on any given day. Now, the 4 o'clock games, you got the Cowboys in the win column, courtesy of Cooper Rush. Who saw that coming? 20-17 to 17 over the Bengals. Brett Maher walk-off field goal for Dallas as they get themselves a big first victory of the season. Keep that ship afloat until Dak Prescott returns. Micah Parsons unleashed. Very, very good off the edge, of course. Talking about that Dallas defense and that pass rush. And the pass rush is something that Cincinnati doesn't know how to defend right now. So if you're looking ahead as to how the Jets are going to go about winning two in a row and beating the Cincinnati Bengals at MetLife Stadium this week, know that Joe Burrow has been sacked 13 times already in the first two games of the season. Remember, the offensive line was the Bengals' Achilles heel last year. They somehow patched it together and made a run all the way to the Super Bowl. It's not any better this year. 
at least not through the first two games. That is something that they are going to have to figure out in a big way if they're going to capitalize on things. Houston loses to Denver 16-9. Hey, despite the fact Denver wins that game, they were not impressive in any way, shape, or form. They're the most penalized team in the NFL through the first two weeks of the season. How about this? Denver twice inside the two-yard line. Two different occasions in the game did not get a touchdown on either sequence. And you got Nate Hackett there throwing the ball from the two-yard line, throwing the football. You know, that's like harking right back to the old Seattle days in the Super Bowl with Darryl Bevel and Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson probably had, like, nightmares thinking about that sequence, reliving the Malcolm Butler play. And Russell Wilson was not good yesterday. He was 14-31. I thought the Broncos were going to annihilate the Texans annihilate them I thought they were walking into a buzzsaw and I'm shocked that that was a 16-9 game I'm shocked that the Broncos didn't cover the number but we had a rough day picking games yesterday folks a rough day 0-4 and you know what doesn't look like it's getting any better tonight because I had the Titans with 10 and a half points and they're down by three scores already to the Buffalo Bills so not a good week for yours truly when it came to making picks on the cover five. We're going to have to do better. Houston, what can you say? The offense was MIA. They're not a good football team. Um, you know, they were fortunate to tie the Colts in week number one. But the Broncos, that was kind of like my surprise playoff team this year. You know, who's going to make the playoffs that you don't think people are talking about too much? I said, ah, why not? I got belief in Russell Wilson. I didn't know that Nate Hackett was going to be as big of a stooge as he is on the sidelines. And that's going to derail that whole operation as far as I'm concerned. Here's another one that concerns me. How about the Rams? They beat the Falcons yesterday, as you expected them to. But I thought they were going to blow the Falcons out. And they let that one go, uh, you know, almost slip through their fingertips. 31-27. to Rams had a 28-3 to lead. 28-3 to lead at home. Then you had a blocked punt. You had a Stafford INT. You had a fumble. And just like that, the Falcons are within one score. That, to me, is concerning. I'm not expecting the Rams to win another Super Bowl, but I didn't expect them to be this shoddy. And I know that they were patting themselves on the back, and I know that, you know, they were living off of the Super Bowl and the spoils and all those things, but they better get their act together. You know, the games are going to get a lot harder. You saw how they fared against the Buffalo Bills last week. They looked like they were playing two different sports. Buffalo looked like an NFL powerhouse, and the Rams looked like a, a, you know, a mid-major college football team. Not Appalachian State, by the way, because they actually win games. But you got Cooper Cup. He had a big day, and right now he's the only thing that's making this offense churn as far as I'm concerned. Atlanta, what can you say? Two close defeats this year on the scoreboard. Battled back yesterday. Let one get past them against the Saints in week number one. Question I have for the Falcons why isn't Kyle Pitts more involved, the tight end? If you guys remember back to last year's draft in 2021, Kyle Pitts was like, we asked the question each year in the NFL draft, who's the best player in the draft? Who's the safest pick in the draft? Who's the guy that is a guaranteed Hall of Famer in this draft? Kyle Pitts was the answer to all those questions, the tight end out of Florida. Falcons took him, and this year so far, it's almost like they've forgotten how to use him or they forgot that he's even on their team. 49ers, 27-7. to they beat the Seahawks. The story in that one, Trey Lance gets hurt, ankle injury, a fracture. He's done for the season. You feel bad for the kid, but Jimmy G is back under center again. And here's the bottom line. The Niners are a better team with Jimmy Garoppolo than they are Trey Lance. And could you imagine if San Francisco traded him? Can you imagine? They'd be left with Brock Purdy right now as their starting quarterback, and they'd have to sign somebody off the street. 
Or maybe they'd call the Jets and see if they could acquire Mike White or something like that. I don't know. Ten penalties for the Seahawks, way too many. Geno nowhere to be found. And ever since that week one, you know, national TV, the Monday night game, Seattle's offense hasn't scored a point in six quarters. Six quarters with Geno Smith at the helm. Lastly, another crazy one, Cardinals somehow, some way, stunned the Raiders 29-23 to in overtime. Arizona was down 20-zip at the half. They scored a touchdown and a two-point conversion. His time expired. You had Kyler Murray running all over the field like he was playing a video game. Somehow it worked. And then they score the game on a walk-off, force fumble, fumble recovery that they take to the house. And by the way, I think it was Byron Murphy. I even tweeted this out when it was happening. They went back and they looked at it about 15 different times. And I don't know why guys kind of like lose their brains in these situations. But did you notice Murphy again? It was very 50-50 if he threw the ball out of his hand in celebration before he even crossed the plane. And I guess he just did, but I don't know what it is with these guys. Like, when they run into the end zone, like they, it's like the ball is a hot potato, like a steaming hot plate or something, and they can't wait to get it out of their hands. Dude, just take it into the end zone. Make sure you're in. Let the world see that you're in. And then he can take the football and do whatever you want with it. Throw it against the wall. Spike it against the ground. Throw it into row 17. Go give it to your cousin who's sitting in the first row. Do whatever the hell you want then. But make sure you cross the goal line with it. Could you imagine if that happened yesterday and cost Arizona a victory perhaps? And about the Raiders, you know, again, Josh McDaniels finding out now he's running his own show. He doesn't have Bill Belichick. He doesn't have Tom Brady there. So far, leaving a lot to be desired. As a head coach of a football team, he's off to an 0-2 start. And remember we asked the question before the season? You know, the AFC West was thought to be strong. Who's going to finish in last place? You might have a good team finish in last. I picked the Raiders, and I'm not moving off of it now. Way, way too conservative. And half number two. Way too conservative. We'll talk some NFL. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. Dan Gross' show till 10 right here on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. Dan Grasso Show, 98.7 ESPN, 800-919-3776. That is our telephone number. So, yeah, it happened. Uh, Scherzer has a perfect game, and he's taken out of the game. I told you, I told you it was going to happen. 68 pitches through six innings. It's not like they were taxing innings, all right? He probably has a lot left in the tank, but he hasn't pitched in a couple of weeks. He's had multiple injuries to that same area this year with the oblique. They're approaching this thing and, and, and treating it with kid gloves. It stinks. This is not the way we grew up with baseball, right, where starters pitch deep into the games. You expected them to empty the tank and all these other things. But I got no problem with it. You know, and maybe, maybe just because I'm conditioned to expect it now. Right? But I know that there's going to be a lot of other people that feel, that feel the other way. And I'm not going to sit here and take exception with that either. I would love to see him try for this because he was so dialed in tonight. I mean, the Brewers have no answers. Think about 68 pitches in six innings. Like, he could possibly finish this thing off. But if he's not around in October, if he tweaks something or he's not healthy... Then how are you going to remember? You know, I don't got to tell Met fans. Go back to 2006 when the Mets won the division. They were by far the best team in the National League. And what happened right before the playoffs started? Pedro Martinez got hurt. El Duque got hurt. You didn't have those guys for the playoff push. And that potentially contributed to them getting bounced by the Cardinals 
in the LCS in seven games. You want Max Scherzer pitching into a World Series this year. And Tyler McGill's coming into the game. First appearance off the shelf here. Good to see Tyler. And as I said, Tyler could be a guy who can help serve as that bridge reliever to Edwin Diaz because Lord knows they've been looking for one for months. 800-919-3776. Let's say hi to Ryan. He's in Pearl River. Up next here on 9870 ESPN. What's up, Ryan? Man, I wish I had your energy, Dan. Listen, if Dan yeah. Marino was playing today, he would pass on every down and he would just tell the running backs when they start complaining, listen, guys, try to scoop up a fumble once in a while. And uh, the thing now is the Yankee fans should know there's going to be a very, very valuable souvenir going into the seats probably during this homestand. Don't give that home run back. Don't give back number 60 or 61, 62. It's worth a lot of money. Don't fall for it. They used to have Reggie Jackson go out there to retrieve famous baseball home runs and stuff. And Reggie, Reggie was the guy that they would the send out there to, to do that? Reggie was the guy? <laughs> yeah, he was the guy. He would give you one of those. Oh, you could go into the clubhouse and meet so-and-so, and he'll get an autographed bat. The one guy with uh, Jeter's uh, uh, 3,000 hit was Grand Slam. They able to get they get they conned the guy into like a couple of season <laughs> tickets. Listen, I would tell Reggie that's all great. Grab a hot dog, going to be and sit down with us. This thing is going up a bid, and uh, that's what they paid him a half a million dollars a year. They paid Reggie to go to birthday parties and retrieve famous. I didn't know home that he runs. was the home like go get the home run ball guy. I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, yeah, he was Mr. Charisma and everything. Reggie, of course. Now he works for the Astros. There? Yeah, because I think he doesn't want to get the shot. But the thing is, uh, who are you going to send out there? The ball boy or the hot dog vendor going to send out? You know, someone that's a valuable piece of item out there. Who they send out out to the outfield when the uh, when the guy, the groundskeeper, got beat up in the 2003 playoffs and the Yankees in Bo Sox? Reggie, they, they, you know, come on, you know, it's nothing. It's no big deal. It's no big deal to get punched you in may, the face. Re- by a they should send Reggie, uh, Reggie around the world. He could settle some wars and disputes and stuff like that. The way you're making it sound, right? <laughs> well, I think we could keep it to sports with him. And so I don't know, a soccer ball going Reggie's to the crowd. Reggie's a good Reggie. guy. I've, I've had Reggie on several times. He's a good dude. He really is. Well, he's he's a, he's a great guy to interview. He has a lot of oh, you know, a lot of history me. in the game. He's funny. He's, he has, no problems there. But the thing is with the uh, – again, don't, don't put it up for auction, folks. Uh, the thing with the Yanks now, I mean, I, I'm really they – juiced, they juiced up this offense. They have – Judge leading off. It's going to help him that he walks a lot, which means they won't really knock down his batting average that much. He might win the Triple Crown, too. And uh, the Yankees, I know fans are complaining he's leading off. Listen, did we not see the offense shut down for a month and a half? Now they're starting to come back. They're starting to hit. You know, the great, who's the best team and who's the hottest team in October and going into November will settle the thing. Now with the Jets, uh, listen, a lot of people got on, on Flacco's case. Listen, Flacco can still get the ball out there, right? If you're looking for a guy running with the football, forget it. It's up to that offensive line to give him a little time. He'll, he'll find the receivers, this guy, if he has the time. The Giants, listen, 2-0. and They look great. But, you know, well, it's still early in the season. It's, it's a 17-game season. Let's sit back. Let's enjoy the Giants season, see what really happens. Because I really feel that the Giants made some good moves, and they're looking at two guys, you know, who might be instrumental in them winning, leaving at the end of the year. They might franchise one of them, probably the quarterback, but that might not happen either. Let's see what happens with this Giant team. Let's not jump – 
you know, the, 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 the jump in line before anything goes to haywire there. Have fun with this, the Giant fans. Jeff fans, we know they're sick and tired. They want wins in the win column. They want W's in the W column. They don't want no more excuses. They want to hear anything. They want W's in the W column. Right. And, uh, yeah, well, you, you know that. But listen, and as far as, uh, I mean, hockey, listen, hockey's sneaking up on us too, guys. And it won't be too long before the hockey season will be dropping that puck. And uh, it's a great time of year, Ryan. It's a great time of year when all the sports converge like this. It's a wonderful time. It really is. It's fun for us. Except when I had to go back to school as a kid. I, I mean, the back-to-school commercials and everything, it sort of nullified it. But once we started playing outside, we're playing ball in our leagues and everything and watching the games, it was a damn good time. You know, the fall is beautiful weather, especially in New York, to play baseball. I hear you. Right. Thanks for the phone call, my friend, to get back to us. That was always that was always the crummy part when I was a kid, like you said, in school. You know, I love football, right? Football's number one. But the downside to the football season starting every year is that school is starting. <laughs> right? Like I hated that part of it. It's like why can't we have one and not the other, you know? Would football be a special if you were on summer vacation and, and stuff like that? But hey, whatever. Get a little, you got to give. It's all good. Uh, Tino, Staten Island, he's up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Tino, what's going on? Dan, my my main man, how are you, man? Good, brother. What's going on? I get, uh, Dan, a couple things. You know, I like to squeeze in a Nick Hall after, you know, we talk a little Jets. Dan, listen, I'm ecstatic about the win. I'm not going to take anything away from the win. The win is excellent. I haven't felt that way since 12 years ago since we beat Tom Brady in, in New England under Rex. That's how happy I was. I literally was shaking. I, I couldn't believe it that we won that game. But let's look at the negative. Dan, I'm really concerned about this defense. I mean, we can't stop anything. I mean, Nick Chubb was running through our linebackers and our, and our secondary like they were bowling pins. They were just falling. They couldn't tackle. They couldn't stop anything in the secondary. I mean, I'm really concerned about the defense. I have no questions about the offense. We have so many skilled players on offense. I think we're going to be able to put up some points. But defensively, I have major concerns. And well, uh, it's only going to get real quick. Get Tino, real quick, real quick. The, the, here's the thing with the defense, yeah. right? You knew that they were going to try to run the ball, Cleveland. That's their bread and butter. And what happened in that fourth quarter is they wore the Jets down. You know what I'm saying? So even yeah. even if the, like if, if Hunt doesn't score, if Chubb doesn't score there, and it's 24-17, yeah. and that's the final score of the game, you're, the talking point is going to be this Jet defense wore down in the fourth quarter and let Cleveland burn the clock. That's sure. what the, the talk would be. Sure, sure. You know, it, it just listen, it, we got a lot of good teams coming up. I mean, we have to play elite level to beat these teams. We cannot have uh, dumb penalties, stupid miscues in the secondary, missed tackles. These things all come back to dumb penalties. Oh, my God, the penalties. And the officiating yesterday was atrocious, you know, against the Jets. And another thing I want to say is, can we give a shout-out to Bob Oshusen's calls yesterday on ESPN? Oh. Is there anybody better in the business than Bob? The guy is phenomenal, man. My God, he gives me tremors when I hear him when he speaks on there. He, the dude is fantastic my god there's nobody better in the business but before we that's go why been, that's why we've been doing, you know, he's been doing it for 20 years you're right tino that's why he's been doing it for 20 years and we're, we're thrilled that he's a part of our team thrilled yeah dan i know we're a month away you know because i'm going to be calling you almost every night talking Knicks basketball with you give me dan from your honest opinion what do you think is going to be considered a successful season for the Knicks this coming year mine i'll tell you what mine is Getting to the playoffs, 
with that tough East, to me, I think that's a successful season. What would you consider a successful season? And also, obviously, hoping the players grow, our young players get better. But I think just making the playoffs in a tough East will be a successful season. Give me, I would love to hear what you have to say about that. Tino, thanks for the call, my man. Um, successful season for the Knicks. RJ takes the next step because you made the investment already. A, not to say Randall from two years ago, but a better, more engaged Julius Randall. Brunson not be subjected to criticism as to why did we go all out and spend all this money to bring in Rick Br- or uh, Rick Brunson, Jalen Brunson, as if he was the end all be all. And if you're talking about wins, I know you don't want to hear it, but I'm just being realistic based on how this team is constructed right now and the rest of the Eastern Conference. I'd say you got to be in the playing tournament because I don't know if this team is good enough to be top six in the East. Right now, they're not. I don't think they're one of the top six teams in the East, at least me. Perfect game is over, by the way, in Milwaukee. Max Scherzer had nothing to do with it, but... Christian Yelich leadoff double against Tyler McGill, then Rowdy Telez with a two-run blast. So it's 5-2 Mets. Now you got to worry about winning the damn game. That's what you got to worry about still in the seventh inning. So you went from perfect game to now just win the damn game. Dan Gross' show, we're rolling till 10 right here on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Gross' show on 98.7 ESPN. Dan Gross' show, 98.7 ESPN. A few more minutes. Gordon and Larry will take over coming up at the top. Love these overreaction Monday shows. But it said, you know, it didn't really follow the form today because they really didn't have anything to overreact about, right? Because both teams won yesterday. And, you know, I'm sure those days will come back, unfortunately. And we still have fun with these Monday shows during the football season. Mets up 5-2 over the Brew Crew in the eighth inning. We've talked about that a lot. Scherzer taken out after six innings and a perfect game. So you got to feel good about his performance tonight first and foremost, right? That is the most important thing, big picture, if you're a Met fan. Braves also have a 5-2 lead over the Nationals in the eighth inning. So if the results remain the same, Mets will still have that one-game lead over the Braves. Remember, they're even in the loss column. Mets have two more wins when you're talking about games to make up. Mets have played two more games than the Braves have had uh, so far this season. Astros moments ago, they clinched the American League West They did the Yankees a little bit of a favor, and they blanked the Tampa Bay Rays. So the Astros win the division. Rays with the loss are now six and a half behind the Yanks. Toronto stays five and a half back in that American League East. It's a six-game lead in the loss column for the Yankees over Toronto with that five and a half game lead. So those are the baseball games you keep an eye on uh, as far as what is happening today. you got a, a reduced schedule in MLB on this Monday here. Also should mention this afternoon, Cleveland beat Minnesota. So Cleveland takes, I think that was a a five-game series. Cleveland took four out of five for Minnesota in that series. What it means is the Twins are done. You can forget them. This is a team that was in first place for much of this season. They're now under 500, if you can believe it. Carlos Correa, I'd be shocked if he doesn't opt out and test free agency again and go play someplace else. I mean, you're never going to win in Minnesota. It's as simple as that. But the Guardians now have a four-game lead over the White Sox trying to hold on in that American League Central division. You know, we talked about Judge as far as Minnesota's concerned. Remember, not just the home run record that Judge is going for, he's also trying to win a triple crown, which he's already got two of the three pretty much locked up. He's got a healthy lead in home runs, a healthy lead in RBIs, and because of the weekend that he had in Milwaukee, he's moved to within just one point of Luis Arise of the Minnesota Twins for the batting title. 
which would complete the trifecta. Arise today went one for three for Minnesota in that loss to Cleveland. So Arise is at 317 still, and Judge is at 316. He'll pick up pursuit tomorrow, of course, when the Yankees take on the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates at the stadium for the first of a two-game series. Real quickly, the Cardinals, okay, with Pujols, because he's at 698. You talk about history, 700 is pretty special, right? There's only been three guys that have ever done it in Major League Baseball history, one of them being Bonds, Aaron, and Ruth. Cardinals are hitting the road. They're going to go play San Diego for three. Then they go play the Dodgers for three on the road, and then two in Milwaukee. So they got to go on an eight-game road trip. And Pujols is going to be in there against lefties. You know, that's the bottom line. They face Blake Snell on Wednesday. So you got to figure that, you know, Pujols will be in there on Wednesday night at the very least. Then they're facing Heaney on Friday, Kershaw on Saturday, Tyler Anderson on Sunday. So you got at least a few left-handers that uh, are going to be facing the Cardinals on this West Coast trip here during the next week for Pujols to get some opportunities to go in there and to get his 700th home one, which I think he's going to get. And I'm surprised because, you know, the way things were looking there for a while, remember when um, the Cardinals signed him earlier in the season and you didn't really know if it was going to be like a PR stunt or, you know, more or less just to, you know, the conquering hero comes home, shell of what he used to be. Maybe he gets a hold of a couple of home runs. You sell some tickets. You got merchandise, you know, Albert and the chase for 700. In a million years, I never expected this guy, okay? Never expected this guy to be doing what he's doing right now. And, you know, the fact that we're sitting here talking about a guy, you know, just two away from 700, I I didn't think it was possible. I did not at all. So it's a testament to him and, you know, just how great a player. I, I've said it, you know, obviously not Angels Albert Pujols because he was cooked by then. But if you go back and you look at Cardinals Albert Pujols, you're talking about a guy who I think is the greatest right-handed hitter that we've seen in baseball since Henry Aaron. That's how good of a hitter he was. That's how locked in he was during his years with the St. Louis Cardinals. He was go, You go back and you look at those numbers, he, he was, you know, by virtue of his nickname, he was a machine all those years for the Redbirds. Um, the Monday night games are a couple of laughers. I mean, the Buffalo Bills, I mean, to say that they're the team to beat right now, I know it's only two weeks, but they're good. 41-7 to over the Titans. Malik Willis has relieved Ryan Tannehill after a couple of picks, and it might not be before long where Willis is the quarterback of this team. I mean, we're trending in that direction. Eagles have a 24-7 lead over the Vikings at halftime at Lincoln Financial Field. So, Philly, that's a team the Giants are going to have to contend with, certainly in that NFC East, if they want to keep this thing going. I think the, uh, the Eagles are the team to beat. Buffalo might be the whole team to the team to beat in the entire National Football League at how good they are this year. And just two weeks, but getting a little bit more information with each passing week here on these clubs, and we'll see where it's going to take us here in the weeks to come. That'll pretty much do it for us here on this Overreaction Monday. Want to thank everybody who was a part of the program. Uh, Julian Kushnick, Tom Bauer, they produced it. We thank them. Thanks to everybody who called in, who listened, who tweeted. And remember, you can get me on Twitter always, at Dan Grasa, G-R-A-C-A. Gordon and Larry are coming up next. They'll carry you the rest of the night. I'll talk to you again, folks, at 7 o'clock tomorrow. Be safe, be well, and have yourselves a great rest of the night.